You are listening to United and Resilient, a podcast designed to help heal and support the El Paso community. I am your host, Oscar Arriaga, Outreach Coordinator for the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center, a program of United Way of El Paso County. We are dedicated to serve those who are impacted directly or indirectly by August 3rd. Join us on the journey to long-term recovery as we have honest conversations with local leaders, mental health specialists, and fellow Pasoans who share their stories and expertise. We feature topics that influence and impact the vitality and resilience of our community. We are El Paso United and together we heal. Juntos sanamos. Dear listener, before we begin, a note of warning. The topic we are about to explore contains a mention of the mass casualty events and a description of the events that unfolded thereafter. This episode may not be suitable for everyone. Please note any views or opinions shared in this program are personal and belong solely to the individual and do not represent the United Way of El Paso County or the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Three years ago, on August 3rd, 2019, El Paso and the rest of the nation witnessed a dark day in Texas history. Our border community of El Paso endured a tragic event at our local Walmart. Our hearts remain broken as we remember the victims, survivors, and everyone impacted. So joining us today, we have Texas Senator Cesar Jose Blanco. We will discuss the impact this tragedy had in our community, how our community leaders were able to process the tragedy and respond to the entire community, where the community stands after three years, the overwhelming support, and the true spirit of what it means to be an Opasuan. Mr. Blanco is a member of the Texas Senate representing the people of Culberson, El Paso, Hudspeth, Jeff Davis, and Presidio Counties. His previous office was in the Texas House of Representatives, where he served for three terms. Welcome, Senator. Thank you, Oscar. I really appreciate you having me. No, no, thank you. We're very excited to have you here. First, of course, before we begin, please tell us about yourself, your profession, your academic and professional achievements, and of course, most of all, your journey to becoming a leader in our community as a Texas State Senator. Well, I appreciate uh, being on here. Uh, let's see, from 2015 to about 2020, I served uh, three terms as a Texas House of Representatives for District uh, 76 here in El Paso. And in 2020, I was uh, proudly elected to serve District 29 as, as your uh, Texas Senator. And serving as your Senator, you know, for me, it's been a, an opportunity of a lifetime. There's, I don't think that there's anything uh, more than that I enjoy than hearing from El Paso, representing this community, representing the, the Big Bend area. And it's an absolute privilege to represent those who, who don't have a voice or, or can't be a leader for these uh, great communities. So elevating those voices, being a leader for these communities is, is great. You know, as a freshman senator last session, uh, we were able to do uh, a lot of good work. Uh, we hit the ground running. I serve on the Health and Human Services Committee. I also serve on the Higher Education Committee. Uh, serve on the Veterans Affairs and Border Security Committees, as well as the Transportation Committee. 
And in those committees, we were able to pass a lot of legislation. I passed about 30 bills. Uh, we've secured more than 6 million for regional priorities and projects. But the one uh, bills that I really enjoy is Senate Bill 162. It's the Lion Tribe Bill. And this was a, a rare gun safety measure that passed in the Texas legislature. And it's based on uh, a recommendation from the Texas Safety Action Report that was published in response to the August 3rd tragedy that, as you know, struck our community uh, in, in a really difficult way. The bill creates a state criminal offense for lying on a background check to illegally uh, purchase a firearm. This is one of those bipartisan, uh, common sense solutions to keep guns out of the hands of criminals. And, and the bill passed through the legislature with, with bipartisan support. My colleague in the, in the House is a Republican who carried the bill in the House and I carried it in the Senate. And we really worked together to ensure that this bill uh, gets passed. We work very closely with, uh, with uh, Governor Greg Abbott, as you know, uh, uh, he's a Republican, I'm a Democrat, but you know, we were able to work together on this common sense solution gun bill that I'm really proud of and uh, hopefully it'll keep guns out of dangerous uh, criminals who lie on background checks. So that's something that I'm really proud of that we uh, were able to accomplish uh, this legislative session. But that's a little bit of background about me and uh, uh, how long I've been in the legislature and some of the work that I've been doing. Thank you, Senator. Of course, we, we appreciate your effort that you do that for us, the community. Now that August 3rd is coming up, El Paso, you know, it's it's a very unique city in its own. We've actually have more than 300 years of history. We're, we're the largest bilingual, bicultural, binational region in the Western Hemisphere. But three years ago, we were struck with a tragic event. I would like to ask you if you can share your moment of how you first heard about August the 3rd. Uh, 2019, the tragedy. Tell us what emotions you went through or and how did you actually first hear about it? You know, every every August 3rd, we all, all of the all past ones kind of go back to that day and kind of relive what we were doing. And and for me, I remember it was like, it was just like yesterday, you know, I was, I was at home. I was getting ready to run some errands that day. And I received an alert on Twitter uh, from the El Paso Police Department saying that, you know, be careful, there's a there's an active shooter in the Sierra Vista Mall area. And when I read that, I, you know, my heart sank. And as soon as I saw the alert, I, you know, I put on my shoes and I drove to my district office, uh, which is just blocks away from from the shooting site here on, uh, we're on bike count. I, I came to the office to try to figure out what I can do as a public leader to, to help my community during this crisis. And, and the first thing uh, that I did was I contacted uh, Speaker Dennis Bonin. He's the Speaker of the House. And he immediately provided me assistance. Uh, he gave me the cell phone number for the head of the state police, Colonel Croft. Um, I contacted them and they, you know, they provided me with a briefing on what occurred. Um, I received information, obviously, before the public received this information. And, and that's when I knew that, and I knew that the, the individual had already been arrested. I asked myself why something like this could happen in our community. And while I was in my office, just, just you know, uh, working with staff on next steps, I, I received a call from Governor Greg Abbott. He expressed his condolences and, and, and he told me, you know, Cesar, I'm on my way to El Paso. Uh, we need to figure out what we can do as a state on this tragedy. And right after that, I, I immediately decided to figure out where Family Reunification Center was because you know, that's the process under the emergency management where families can 
go and figure out where their loved one is. And unfortunately, it was at my elementary school, MacArthur um, Elementary School, um, where this uh, reunification center was. And, you know, it's horrifying to go into to a school. You know, a school is a safe place. Uh, this is a place where I had fond memories as a child and walk into a room where families, uh, you know, that had this look of shock, mm -hmm. despair, anxiety. And as the day went on, you know, the governor got to El Paso. We received a briefing on what happened. Throughout the day, I spent the time with the governor and, and Representative Joe Moody. And we spent many hours in the vehicle together talking about the need to take action. There was an agreement between the three of us that something needed to be done. So, uh, you know, we spent the day together. We met with Mayor DeMargo at the time and knowing something had to happen, something had to change, uh, keeping in mind that we were all in shock. So, you know, we, we all see these scenarios unfold before our eyes on, you know, CNN and other news but it's never real until it hits your own community. And when you hear about people and their stories, the victims, it really hits home. I could imagine that as the information is coming in, that you're receiving uh, new updated information, um, you have to prepare for briefings. At the same time, show the community your, your leadership, your support. How did you stay focused or find that balance to not show your emotions when you're speaking out there or those tears you probably have inside? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, you know, not one day passes that I don't think about the 23 lives that, that we lost on August 3rd. To this day, I feel profound sadness and frustration and, and confusion. It's, it's painful, especially when you want to do something to prevent the next tragedy from, from striking another community. But there's so, a lot of obstacles that block, you know, the road to progress. And we saw what happened in Uvalde. But, you know, the events of August 3rd uh, are daily motivation for me to keep working toward policies that are going to create a safer and more uh, compassionate state. And, and together we have to push forward, right? We, after Uvalde, I'm uh, even more determined than ever to, to end the use of dangerous and hateful rhetoric and, you know, address serious gun violence issues that we have in our state. And the implications of these two issues, you know, have cost us too much already in our society. So. You are listening to United and Resilient. We'll be right back with our guest, Senator Cesar Blanco. Now we shift with our intermission segment of Where Were You on August 3rd with our guest, Christina Lamour. She works as a strategic consultant for inner city youth leadership and development programs and former vice president of community impact at United Way of El Paso County. She helped create the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center and shares her personal accounts on the day of the August 3rd, 2019 tragedy. Hello, my name is Christina Lamore, and this is my story. When I first heard the news of August 3rd, I was on an airplane. I believe I was flying from San Antonio, Texas to Chicago or something like that for what was supposed to be our family vacation. Uh, we had already had an interesting morning of delays and cancellations. Um, and I was doing my best to wrangle my two-year-old and my four-year-old, keep them in their chairs uh, when I received a text from my CEO. Um, my CEO texted myself along with some other senior leaders in our organization asking if we were okay, asking us to reach out to our staff to make sure that we could account for everybody um, and asking, to do more of a roll call, more or less. 
I responded back to my CEO, letting her know where I was, and I reached out to my staff. Then our plane took off. So a couple hours later, um, we landed in Chicago, and I opened my phone again to more texts. Individuals letting me know where they were, letting me know that they were okay. I wasn't exactly sure what was going on. I didn't know why, I was just doing as I was told. When I received another text from my CEO mentioning that we needed somebody from our team to report to the Emergency Operation Command in El Paso. I knew that something was wrong. <laughs> At that point, it was a bit more serious than just checking in. Unfortunately, because I was in mid-flight and because I was across the country, I was not able to report to the Emergency Operation Command. Um, but one of my team members reported on behalf of United Way. So I checked in with that team member. Um, I asked how things were going, what was happening. <laughs> of course, I didn't receive a reply because things were a little too busy. After that, we finally landed at our destination. It was an interesting time for me. Um, I think my first reaction was, this isn't, this is a hoax. This isn't real, it's a false alarm. Um, everybody's trying to take the precautions that they can, but I'm sure everything is fine. My CEO was very respectful and tried to give me the vacation that I was trying to take. But of course there was a lot more happening than that. It wasn't until I returned to El Paso that I learned exactly what had been going on and to the extent. Of course, I had looked at the news. I saw the number of casualties increasing just as everybody had across the nation. But in terms of the response of the community and how that incident weighed on the people of El Paso, that did not hit me until I returned to the community. I started working with my CEO and my other team members on the response um, in terms of finding volunteers that they needed um, and, and getting the work done. Um, and then the work that our team did really started a couple weeks after the incident. The news um, and everything that came with it really hit me and I really understood what El Paso was going through. When I was in college, uh, I attended Virginia Tech. My senior year was the shooting at Virginia Tech and this incident in El Paso remind, brought back those feelings, reminded me of that tragedy, that confusion as as a student, as you know, somebody who was in proximity but didn't know what to do. Listening to the stories of individuals that per perhaps in similar situations in El Paso, it brought back all of those feelings of confusion and helplessness and wanting to be part of the solution, but also not really knowing how. <laughs> um, also something that that really hit me was the media. I was really frustrated as a college student at Virginia Tech that the media would just not leave people alone. 
Um, and I noticed that again in El Paso is that the community would have challenges healing because the, the news talked about it so much. <laughs> it was all over the place. You couldn't get away from the news. But what I really noticed coming back to El Paso was the rallying of the helpers. Um, I was disappointed and I think I felt a little left out that I wasn't able to contribute immediately after the incident happened. But I was grateful that I was able to jump in when I did return to El Paso so that I could potentially relieve some of the helpers that had been working so tirelessly within the week, the 10 days after the incident happened. I also kind of felt like because I had that experience um, at Virginia Tech that I could share that with people and I could take those emotions and I could take that experience and use it to maybe shine some light, some hope <laughs> on this situation. As we're approaching three years um, since this incident happened, um, a lot has happened within those three years. We've had a pandemic. Our community in El Paso is continuously challenged with migrant hospitality um, and with just life <laughs> in general. A lot of the nation, a lot of the world would almost say that we've forgotten about August 3rd um, because so much has happened since. But at the same time, I feel like if you talk to the families, if you talk to the individuals who were present, it is very much still in their minds, in their hearts. They're never going to forget, even if the rest of the world has moved on. There are still people three years later who have not yet acknowledged that they were affected by August 3rd or who are just now coming to terms with their feelings related to that tragedy. So I think our community is moving as much as it can, moving forward and taking on additional tragedies <laughs> um, as well as, as the tragedy of August 3rd. But we continue to make progress. And I do think that as a community, as we rally together and support one another and love one another, that we can continue to heal and to bring light to that darkness. We now return to our united and resilient guest, Texas Senator Cesar Blanco. Our community being very supportive, a long line for people to donate blood. Um, yeah. We're passing out water bottles. There was a restaurant near to the Walmart also passing out food, free snow cones. That shows uh, El Paso, our city, the, the reflection of who we are being very hospitable. Yeah. How do you feel about seeing that community support as everything was happening? As much as that moment, that day was just filled with sadness, I, I, you're right, Oscar, I'll never forget the community's um, immediate action to support everyone that had been impacted uh, that day. 
you know, I didn't hear any talk about retribution. I didn't hear any talk about vengeance. Um, what I, what we did hear, and what we did see, was this outpouring of love, of compassion, and support, and and the strength and the resilience of El Pasoans shine during the days that followed. And I think it's important to note that El Paso, you know, we're in a unique place in this world, and and it's people that make the you know our our people that make it very unique and nowhere else can you go to Walmart and the checkout lady is there and you have your groceries or things that you're buying and she says is that all mijo uh, you need anything else right yeah that's El Paso I, I don't see that in any other city no we're we're a big city but we're very family united a lot of people are related to each other we're at everyone's quinceañeras and weddings and all the type of events that we're just we're, we're a very tight-knit community in it and I think it relates to compassion and love when you saw people at the reunification center bringing food and water to the families, uh, uh, we saw the mental health providers who were off duty providing assistance to those who needed. It's just, and like you said, the the people lined up in 100 degree weather to give blood is just demonstrating how uh, wonderful our community is. And at the same time, El Paso it's ranked as one of the safest cities in the nation. And of course, with your help, the steps are moving forward towards gun violence and why this must stop. But I was going to ask you, what, what can we do as a community to prevent more outcomes like this? How can the community members be more engaged on a level of safety? And this is for the schools, uh, places of worship, shopping malls, grocery stores, neighborhoods. What can we do as a community member to help prevent this? You know, I think what we saw, what happened in, in Walmart is a tragedy. It's a Walmart that I shop in. We need we need to see action, and and I think people in in El Paso want reform, and I think people in Uvalde want reform. And these mass shootings, unfortunately, becoming a you know recent occurrence, and and things are happening. These things are happening more often. But you know, every day that passes without action is is, I, from my perspective, a dereliction of duty as lawmakers to protect our communities. And I think it's enough. Uh, enough is enough, and we owe it to the 23 beautiful lives that we lost years ago to do something. So, El Pasoans should work with their elected officials. They should write their governor, the U.S. their U.S. senators, members of Congress to take action and and, and talk about the reform that we need. We should be much more involved. I really think El Paso in the future will be much different than it is now. I, I'm sure there'll be more resilience. That's what I'm thinking. But how do you see El Paso basically in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, you're right. Look, El Paso is resilient. Uh, we've got hardworking people. They're motivated. Um, you know, we're not just a small little border town. We've got great leaders uh, at the local, state, federal level. We've got great leaders in the business community. And, and El Paso is going to move forward because of our people. Uh, that's who we are. And we have to keep moving forward. And we've got to do that by investing in our greatest assets. And I think those are our people. That's our greatest asset. So, you know, five, 10 years from now, I think we're going to be recognized on the global stage. And we're not going to be uh, known just for a terrible tragedy that, that, that will be in history. We're going to be recognized for who we are and what we have to offer as a community. And I think people are going to want to move to El Paso and start their families here. I agree. Senator Blanco, can you give us a message of hope for us, the El Paso community? Absolutely, you know, following the El Paso shooting, we heard words of hope. We heard uh, words of unity, uh, but we also heard the message and the call for courage, uh, the courage to stand up to do what's right. 
And now this isn't a Republican or a Democrat issue. This is an issue and I think an opportunity to lead, to do something, to keep our community safe because the fundamental element of leadership is to keep our community safe. And no society should start their school year with active shooter drills. No society, especially a developed nation, should deal with an epidemic of violence that, that we're seeing across the country. And, and I think political forces are at play, but we only have one shot to take care of our own. And I have hope. Courage is, is, is what is guiding us. Courage to do things that generations before us have done as elected leaders, to choose people over politics, and to ensure that we choose to do something as fundamental as protecting uh, people's lives. We owe it to the victims. We owe it to their families, not just for the El Paso community or for the Uvalde community, but for all Texans and for all uh, people in the country. And we can do so, but it takes courage. And I think we've seen El Paso has reacted in, in the face of tragedy with friendship and love and compassion. And I think it's time for elected the leaders to do the same because it's our role. It's our responsibility to do what's right. And, and El Paso took great action. So I think uh, uh, that's what we need to be doing. Great steps to move forward as a community. And finally, one last question before we end this interview. And I always ask this to every one of my guests. Senator, what does resiliency mean to you? Well, resiliency means adapting and standing up in the face of adversity, even when you feel like you just can't anymore, right? Um, I think there were so many days where I just felt lost, uh, overwhelmed with grief, but the entire community of El Paso, I think, felt that. And, and we turned that pain into healing. I remember when I went to the Interfaith Vigil, the same at Ponder Park where I played third base in Little League, we heard messages of hope and messages of unity, but we also heard the message and the call for courage and the message to stand up to do what's right. Um, and I think we've demonstrated it before, or while the country and the world watched us uh, on August of 2019, and I think we'll continue to do that because El Paso is, as they say, El Paso strong. Excellent. Thank you, Senator Blanco, for sharing your thoughts, emotions, and strengthening our community with your leadership. You bet. Great to be here. Senator Cesar Blanco is a member of the Texas State, representing the people of Culberson, El Paso, Hudspeth, Jeff Davis, and Presidio Counties. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Yes, three years ago, we witnessed a very dark day in our Texas history. But with our leaders and the community working together, we continue to stand united, demonstrating our resiliency. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The handle is at El Paso United FRC a place where you can learn more about our commitment to the community's long-term recovery. I'm signing off and I will see you soon. Have a good day.